I am so excited about today, but before we get to today, I want to tell you about where we're going starting next week. Very excited. It's going to be a four-week series, and we're simply calling it How to Neighbor. And don't even try to figure it out, because you will not be able to do so. I will give you this little glimpse, though. Uh, Jesus had a lot more to say about our neighbor, who our neighbor is, and who we ought to be a neighbor to, all of that. And we're going to get into that, and I hope you'll be here next week, and I hope you'll bring somebody with you. It's going to be a great, great time. It's good to have a good friend of mine, uh, Larry, that is here today. He's a great preacher. I, I should feel really, really, and to a respect, I do, intimidated. I've heard this guy speak before. I had a Sunday when I was not, I was off from here, I had a vacation, but I was in town, and I knew where he was speaking, went and saw him, and man, he did a great job, so I'm really honored he's here and some of his family with him today. Now, we're into this last part of this series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. Today's the third and final week, and there's this theme uh, ver- verses, I should say, because it's two, that we've been looking at, and I want us to go back to that for just a moment, and then after we walk through a couple of things in regards to that, we're going to dive right in. So let's go back to Romans 14. And how many of you, all right, how many of you are going to read with me a little bit today? There's going to be three or four times. Now, just for those of you who are newer to our church, we have this rule, and I'm going to need you to give me, like, all your mental horsepower today. I know what you're thinking. It's Labor Day weekend. You're all already in relaxation mode, and you may be thinking already, Jeff, I do not plan on using my brain at all today. Just talk. Just spoon feed me. But I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to ask you to think with me because if you do, I, I'm sure it's going to encourage you on one side. It's going to challenge you on another side. And so I'm going to ask you to read with me. And again, for those of you who are new, if at any point during this talk, you look around and it appears that somebody is praying because their eyes are shut in this dark theater and the seats sort of recline, we have a rule around our church. And that is you can smack them. You really can. You can smack them. But you got to do it in Jesus' name. Don't just smack them. But when you smack them, they come back to life to say, I did that in Jesus' name. And they'll come back. They'll be resurrected. So just wanted you to know that. Romans 14, here we go. Everybody, we're going to read it together. Let's go. Here it is. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Now, guys, keep that up for just a moment. And, you know, as we've been in this series, and I don't mind telling you, this is actually some confession on my part. You know, knowing that we were going to be dialing into these three words at the end of this uh, first part, this A part of this, this verse, uh, the kingdom of God. And you have to go back and read about two or three verses prior to this to see what Paul is saying to these believers in Rome. But out of what he says, he says the kingdom of God is not this, but it's actually this. It is righteousness, it is peace, and it is joy. And if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we have talked about the latter two. We've talked about joy. And I could do that confidently. In fact, I was highly motivated to talk about it because I think fundamentally I have a pretty good understanding of joy. Like Jesus said, hey, I want my joy to be in you, and I want it to be like in its fullest measure. So I felt, you know, good about talking about that one. And then peace, as we've talked about, you know, everybody's searching for peace. And all of us have this unsettledness that occurs in our life from time to time. And then you've got over here Jesus saying, but you know what I want to do? I want to provide you with peace that passes all understanding. So I've, you know, I was really motivated to talk to you about that one. But to be, again, real open and transparent to this one about righteousness, every time I think about it, and I knew that this day would come, 
the final day. And although it's first, I don't know if I subconsciously put it off to last because every time I would think about today, here's what my thought would be. Oh, my. What am I going to talk about? I, I, don't, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about in regards to righteousness. So, you know, I thought, well, I'm not going to tackle the whole Bible. But what I will do is I will tackle just the New Testament because I wanted to be able to communicate to you some truths concerning righteousness that would be helpful to you, that would open your mind and sort of provoke you in your spirit, in your heart, in your life a little bit in that regard. So I just started digging in to see what, uh, what the New Testament, again, isolated it and thinking, you know, I'm, you know, I don't know what I'm really going to communicate. And if I know that I'm going to communicate everything I'm, I'm thinking about in regards to righteousness, then we're going to be out of here about seven minutes into the talk. And some of you would like that, I'm sure. But, you know, the more that I dug in, I then reached a conclusion. No, it's not like I'm going to have to search for something to talk about in regards to righteousness. The more I got into it, the more I came to this realization, I'm going to have to chop a little bit here and cut a little bit there and tweak a little bit there and customize a little bit here because there's so much, so much that the Bible wants us to know about righteousness. I like I couldn't fit it all in one gathering. So I just sort of reduced it down to what maybe are some of the most important things that we need to understand about righteousness here today. And then I just started looking and I'm like, well, one of the things that I noticed right out of the gate was that from time to time, that the New Testament mentions these people, and they were pronounced to be righteous. There were people like John the Baptist, who had said of him, a forerunner of Jesus, that he was a righteous man. And then other people that would be deemed righteous, like Cornelius in Acts, in the book of Acts, Cornelius and uh, the centurion. And, and then alluding to actually a passage out of the Old Testament, it talks about, if you can imagine, Rahab, the prostitute, who was declared righteous. So you, you have people like that, and Joseph, you know, the early, the earthly father of Jesus, not Joseph of the Old Testament, but it says he was righteous, and Simeon, who was there at the time when Jesus' parents brought him into the temple for the purpose of dedication, and so it just starts naming these people, and this is just isolated in the New Testament, not inclusive of all those in the Old Testament, of these people who the Bible would sort of stand back and look at them and say, if you really, really want to see a righteous person, then here's a righteous person. And then I started noticing something else about righteous or righteousness, and that is above them all, above everybody else. It's like Jesus had his own category of righteousness. Look at this verse right up here. This is 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. The guys are going to put it up here. And this is, there it is. And this is, this is what it says. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not, what's that word there? So that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Isn't that good to know? Anytime that you and I sin, that Jesus goes on our behalf as our advocate, as our representative before the Father, to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, not, it doesn't uh, refer to him as a righteous person, but it says actually that he is the righteous one. Again, a classification, all his own. In Acts chapter 3, Jesus is declared to be not just the righteous one, but the holy and righteous one. Now, uh, one Bible scholar said, and again, I just dug into this, trying to get my hands on and my mind around everything that I could find because I wanted to, uh, you know, be inspiring to you and, and, and get you to be activistic 
in this matter of righteousness. And one scholar said, righteousness is that attribute by which God's nature is seen to be the eternally perfect standard of what is right. Let me say that again. God's nature, God's character is that which is eternally perfect, that eternally perfect standard of everything that would be right. Now, let me just say this, and maybe it will help you to understand that a little bit more. Now, uh, here's the way that our mind works. If I were to have a list of people that are like in your sphere of influence, maybe not even now, but over time, people that you've known or been around for years maybe, or months, and I was to just have this list for each and every one of you, and I would just, you know, with you sitting here, I'd just start reading the names of the people in your sphere of influence. You couldn't help it. You wouldn't will your mind to think this way or not think this way. It would just happen. I could say a name that is on your list, and you would either have a positive or negative thought based on the name because the name represented a person, and you've had maybe negative encounters, or, or you think about their name and their person, and it brings a good feeling to you or a negative feeling. You, you can't control your mind in regards to that. Now, if, if I were to name certain behavioral patterns, then what you would do, I could name something and just say, hey, what do you think, right or wrong? And, and your mind couldn't help it. Uh, you, you'd say, wow, that is right, that is good, that ought to be done, or no, that is wrong. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be a part of my life because our mind... But when you think about God, God not only epitomizes what is right, he sets the ultimate perfect standard for what is right. It is his righteousness. Now, here's what I want to do. In the time that we have remaining, I want to give you four truths about righteousness. And we could go beyond this because it's so categorically broader than this, but I want to just sort of narrow it down because I think these are the essentials that all of us need to know and embrace in regards to righteousness. So I'm going to give you four truths about it. Let's go ahead and dive into the first one. Here it is. You see it on the screen. It is only because of Jesus that we can be declared righteous. It is only because of Jesus that we can be declared righteous. There's no other way. Now, there's so much that happens in the practical day-to-day living that we do, which requires on our part our own effort and our own discipline or our personal achievement. And I'll give you a couple of examples here. Let's say for, um, for again, illustration sake, you come up to me after this service and you would say, hey, Jeff, I'd love it if you would pray with me because I want to have a better job than the job that I have right now. And I'd say, well, of course. You want me to pray with you about that? Of course I'm going to pray with you about that. And we would. But how many of you know there are some things that when you're involved in a discussion, you, it's like you can't help it. You can't help it. you got to speak to that a little bit. So if you said, would you pray with me that I would find a better job? I'd say, yes, I'm going to pray with you. But then I couldn't help it. I couldn't. I would have to say at the conclusion of that prayer, I'd have to ask you a couple of questions about that. Here's one of the questions I would ask you. I would ask you in the current job that you have, are you really working hard? The job you've got, I know you want a better job, but in the job that you've got, are you really working hard in the one you've got? And hopefully you'd say, you know what? I really am. I've got strong work ethic. You know, I get paid, and I'm going to make sure my employer is, uh, you know, they compensate me for my job. I'm going to compensate them in terms of the matter of work that I do, commensurate with the pay that I get, all right? So, yes, I'm working hard. I hope none of you would say, you know what? I'm really not. I'm just, really? You know, I got the award, uh, you know, last year, laziest employee of the entire year. I just got it. I was awarded that. 
The other thing, and I couldn't help it, I would have to follow that up and I'd have to say, hey, are you working hard in the job that you currently have? I would have to say, let's take it out a little bit further than that. What's your attitude when you're there? You have a good attitude? How's your attitude working? Because, in my opinion, if you will really want to get a better job than the job, that, than the job that you have where you're at, then the reality is, the reality is, you would have to, I think, in that current place or if you're going to a different place you really need to establish a good work ethic have a great attitude I sort of beat not really beats a good word because you think I like literally beat but into my boys I constantly said to them to Brandon to Drew again and again hey listen if you if you really want to excel here's what you need to do work harder than most people work more so than anybody keep a better attitude because mediocrity is everywhere and you know if if you're average that doesn't really get promoted a whole lot so I'd say, you know what, you got to give some attention to that. Of course, I'm going to pray with you. If you said, well, you know, while we're talking about a better job, uh, maybe you'd pray with me because I'd love to have a better body. I'd like to have a better body. And I'd say, yeah, we're going to pray about that. But I couldn't help it. I really couldn't have to, you know, I'd have to say, well, let's talk about that for As soon as I say amen, are you open to a couple of questions about that? And if you said yes, I couldn't help it. I'd have to talk about it. Because I'd ask you some questions. I'd say, well, talk to me. You know, you want a better body. I hear what you're saying. But uh, tell me about some of your eating patterns right now. Are you eating clean the majority of the time? Are you, are you doing that? You know, are you hitting the gym? Are you hitting the pavement? Are you walking around the neighborhood on the sidewalk? What are you doing? Are you, you know, are you taking care of your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit? And I know what some people say, hey, I, I didn't want you to get into all my business. All I wanted was some prayer. You know, just pray with me. Now, how many of you know, wouldn't it be really, really, wouldn't it be great if we could just, all of us, think about this now, if we could all just sit on the couch watching TV and eating Doritos and get a better body? Hey, wouldn't that be wonderful? And then just occasionally be able to dip our Doritos into a little bit of ice cream and eat that. I mean, now we're talking heaven right here. This is heaven. I couldn't help it. You know, we'd have to talk about it. If you said, well, you know, I, I don't really, you know, it's not a better job. It's not a better body. I would like to have a better financial positioning. I'd say, yes, of course, I'm going to pray with you about that. But again, I, I couldn't help it. I'd have to talk to you a little bit about that. I mean, if I was really going to be true to who I am, I'd have to say, you know, I'm going to pray with you about that. But what are you doing? It's one thing for me to ask God to bless you and for your financial positioning to become better than what it is right now. But let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you, are you, really, are you really monitoring your spending? Are you really, do you know what you're spending? Do you have a budget? you know where you're spending it? Are you sort of managing that part of your life? Do you have a plan? Do you have a strategic plan to reduce or hopefully to eliminate debt? Are you setting aside some money for a rainy day? Are you setting aside some money for retirement maybe? And uh, I, I couldn't help it. I would have to talk about that because it would be, you know, what you would need to be thinking about, seriously thinking about. So it would only seem reasonable if you want a better life. If you want a righteous life, then you would have to strive and struggle to make that happen, right? No, that's not right. That's incredibly wrong. Because in every other area of our life, we think that. We think, well, you know, I've got to do, you know, it's all about effort. It's all about discipline. It's all about personal achievement. So that must also be true, not just in my vocational life or my physical body, you know, or my financial equation. That must also be true in this matter of righteousness, 
But again, it's only because of Jesus that we can be declared righteous. And I want to start with the baseline of our human condition. And I want you to read this verse with me because it, it tells us where we're at, where all of us are at. Look at this verse right up here on the screen. Everybody read it. Here we go. Romans 3.10. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. Who's righteous? Nobody. You're not righteous. I know me, and I know that I'm not righteous. Nobody's righteous is what Paul is saying right here. And so we have this monumental problem. We don't have it. We cannot make righteousness mysteriously appear out of nowhere. So how do we get it? Now, I knew that about this time, many of you would be thinking, all right, it would be helpful to me to really have a just sort of you know, fundamental understanding of what righteousness actually is, you know, if I'm going to embrace some of these truths. And, and I don't want to get too complex right here, but I do want you to get a handle on what righteousness is. And I'll, I'll just mention three things, and we're still under this first main idea, but, but a couple of things to think about here. First of all, what you need to know about righteousness is that righteousness is a gift from God. Again, I'm, I'm saying to you, it's only because of Jesus that you and I can be declared righteous, uh, and righteousness is a gift from God. Here's what we also need to know. And that is that, that it is conclusive. This is a conclusive reality that only God can make the proclamation that a person is righteous. Now, you're going to notice as we get a little bit deeper into this in the next few moments, that it's like one thought is connected to the next thought, which is connected uh, to the, the one that will follow that. And I'm, I'm doing that intentionally. And you're going to hear me come back to this because a lot of people, a, a lot of people declare, declare, that they are righteous when in reality that they are not. Only God can make the proclamation that a person is righteous. And in his declaration, God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive the sins of the person. Now, again, I told you I'm going to need your mental horsepower. I know it's a holiday weekend and you want to re relax, but I need you to dial in here. A lot of times we, we preacher types, we throw out words that we never communicate the concept or the idea behind them. And this is what I want you to know because you've heard it but maybe you've never heard it explained, is this idea of justification. And, and it is tied into what we're talking about right now because when God declares a person righteous, connected to that is God says, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to justify you. I am going to cause you to become righteous in my sight, and that is not on the basis of anything that you can do. It is that step in salvation where Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to forgive you of your sin, but I'm going to actually do more than forgive you of your sin. I'm going to treat you as though you have never sinned before. You're going to be justified. You're going to be righteous in my sight. Now, Apart from that, you saw what Paul said to the believers in Rome. There is none that is righteous. No, not one. But when Jesus declares, and he's able to do it because of his atoning and sacrificial death, again, friends, you've got to understand this. This is not about our effort. This is not about our words. This is not about our human achievement. This is not how much we exert. This is all about what Jesus did, and you and I are able to be declared righteous or justified in the sight of God, not through anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has already done for us. This verse is not on the screen, but let me read it to you. Romans 3.22 says, This righteousness, this righteousness from God, from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now look at this next verse, Romans 5.19. Everybody look at this verse. Here it is. 
because one person disobeyed God. Now, uh, everybody's disobeyed God since this time, but uh, the writer here, Paul, is, he is referencing one person in particular, the first person to ever disobey God, and who would that be? That would be Adam. Because one person disobeyed God, that was Adam, many became sinners. Adam, thank you very much. Just thank you very much. Now, how many of you know this about yourself? You know that you're a sinner. Okay. If you don't know that, come and see me afterwards, and I'll call your friends and family, and we'll go ahead and validate that because they know it, even if you don't. Let's try that one. How many of you, you know you're a sinner? You know you're a sinner. The Bible says we all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Now, because of Adam's disobedience, many became sinners. But look at this next part. But because of one other person who obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Who would that person be? That'd be Jesus. So think about it this way. Think about it this way. Because of Adam, we are sinners, but because of Jesus, sort of the second Adam, we're able to be declared righteous. He treats us. He not only forgives our sin, he declares us to be righteous or justified in his sight and treats us as though we've never sinned. Why? Because we're great people? No, 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 no. There's none that is righteous. No, not one. But we're able to be declared righteous because of what Jesus did when he stood in the gap for us on the cross. All right, so how many of you are with me? How many of you are just wave your hand like this? Now, in a sports metaphor would be like if you're not like playing up to your highest potential, the coach may call you over, have a chat with you, and say it just appears that your head is not in the game. So just be prepared from time to time. I may ask you, is your head still in the game? So right now, before we move to the second one, is your head still in the game? I just need to know this, all right? Second thought about righteousness. Here it is. It's possible to appear to be righteous. You see this on the screen. It's possible to appear to be righteous on the outside and still be corrupt on the inside. Let's talk about this one for just a moment. Let's say, for example, that I'm able to get into my possession every single piece of an authentic, listen to this now, an authentic Georgia Bulldog uniform. And I wanted to use that example because I know that every reasonable thinking person here would want something like that. I know that. Well, let's say I was able to pull it off somehow. And let's say that I, I had it all. I had the helmet. I had the jersey. I had the pants. I had the cleats. I had the pads. I had it all. And, and I, you know, it wasn't like doled out to me when I showed up. It wasn't like, hey, you know, you're part of the team and you're going to need this. Let's say I got it online. But I was real stealth-like. And so come game day, I just put on all of this authentic gear. And, I, I you know, I, I ride the bus. I put on this uniform, I go through the pregame warm-up, I do all of that, and here's what might would happen. Now, I'm, I'm self-aware, and so I'm, I'm not insecure about this. I would say I could possibly pull that off were I not size-challenged. <laughs> and I, I know this, I know this. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe I could, you know, pass off as a kicker. Or, uh, or a uh, water boy, or an undersized wide receiver. But, but here's, here's the thing. I would, I would not, you know, outwardly I could appear to be a real player, but it would not be so. Now, why do I say that? In Jesus' day, 
there was this religious group of leaders who continually put on the uniform, but they really did not play on Jesus' team. They were called Pharisees. And this is what Jesus said about them. In fact, he's speaking to them. This is Matthew 23, 28. Look at it on the screen. He said, in the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people, you appear to people as being righteous, but on the inside, you're actually full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And Jesus often spoke of a false righteousness. A false righteousness was somebody who demonstrated, you know, that they trusted in themselves. They believed in themselves. They had faith in themselves. They had faith in their own words and their own effort and their own moral accomplishment rather than to trust in God. And, and it wasn't about God's love. It was about their words. It wasn't about God's grace. It was about their effort. It wasn't about God's forgiveness. It was all about their accomplishments. And it was, Jesus said that this was a, a false righteousness. Check out, what, check out what Jesus says in Matthew 5.20. You see this up on the screen. Matthew 5.20, Jesus said, and he's speaking on this occasion, not directly to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, but he's speaking to his followers about them. He said, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we can speak it, and we can play the part, and we can put on the uniform. But it doesn't actually mean that we're a part of the team. It's mere pretension. Outwardly, everybody would say, he is righteous. She is righteous. But God would say, you're corrupt. God would say, you're filled with sin. God would say, what you appear to be outwardly and who you really are deep on the inside. You're just filled with hypocrisy. Andy Stanley wrote this. He said, Nothing says hypocrite faster than Christians expecting non-Christians to behave like Christians when half the Christians don't act like it half the time. You want me to say that again? Here it is. Thank you. I knew you did. <laughs> Nothing says hypocrite faster than Christians expecting non-Christians to behave like Christians when half the Christians don't act like it half the time. Think about that one. Thirdly, by the way, is your head still in the game? I'm just asking. I need, is your head still in the game? All right, thirdly, another truth about righteousness. Those who obey God's plan, you see it here on the screen, those who obey God's plan will be declared righteous. They will be. Now, be sure that you catch this. It's really important. The New Testament makes it very clear that the person who is declared righteous should actually seek to do the deeds of righteousness. They should seek to do the deeds of righteousness. They should do it. See, the reason we need to talk about this, and we could not talk about righteousness this morning, and I'm going to get a little bit more detailed in just a second. I'm going to need you to think a little bit more deeply. But the reason we could not leave this out is because you and I could walk away from this time together because you've already heard me say that it's only because of Jesus that we can be declared righteous. And you may would walk out of this place today and you'd just say, well, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm a Christian, and, you know, I read my Bible, I pray, and stuff like that. And, you know, either Jesus is going to declare me righteous or or he's not going to declare me righteous, and basically I'm just going to do, you know, what I want to do, and, you know, because it's all in Jesus' hands. Now, listen, fundamentally that is true. It is in Jesus' hand, and Jesus has done everything necessary from his vantage point to make sure that he has declared us to be righteous, but that does not nullify our response to what Jesus has done. 
and that is to do the deeds of righteousness. Now, here's a verse that will help us to understand this a little bit more, and this one is in Romans as well. So look at Romans 2.13, for it is not those who, what? What's the word? It is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And he's just saying, we know this. You don't get extra credit for hearing. You get extra credit for obeying. Now, to be able to physically hear is a wonderful, wonderful gift from God. And if you have it, uh, then you need to be very, very grateful because not everybody who wants to hear physically is able to hear. And I think you'll understand this parallel that I make in terms of spiritual reality, physical hearing, you'd have to say in a sense is somewhat overrated when it comes to, you know, hearing as compared to obedience. Now, I know a little bit about hearing or lack of hearing because I, you know, I, I actually have some hearing loss in my left ear. When I was in the sixth grade, because I'd had these reoccurring ear infections again and again and again, had these reoccurring ear infections, my parents took me yet again to a specialist, an ENT there in the suburbs of Atlanta where I grew up. And he just said, this is, you know, same old thing. And we're going to have to do surgery. Now, I'm, I'm 11 years old, started school when I was five. I'm 11 years old. And so when he said surgery and then started describing it, and I'm sitting there with my parents, I mean, it just totally freaked me out. It freaked me out in a couple of different ways. Number one, I'm going to have surgery. And I actually do. I'll be happy to show you if you need to see it. But I have a scar that st- uh, starts at the top of my left ear. And uh, it comes down to the bottom behind my ear to the bottom of my ear, and since you had lunch, uh, you know, have not had lunch yet, I'll, I'll just help warm you up. They made that cut, and then they literally just laid my ear over on the side of my face and went in there and worked for, I found out later, it was about five hours. Now, so I'm upset I'm going to have surgery, but there's another, you know, if I'm just completely candid, and I'm going to date myself, but I knew because they told me that same day, we're going to have to cut your hair when you have surgery. And that was in the days of like, like this, all right? So I'm dating myself. To give you a, a word picture, think Partridge family. <laughs> so I'm in sixth grade. I mean, I am in my own estimate. I'm, I'm a legend in my own mind in sixth grade, and nobody else has been in my own mind. And I have these lovely lots, and, you know, there. And I'm just, really, you're going to cut my hair? Really? And you're, you're going to cut it a half an inch above. So I'm going to go back to school when the, all the bandaging come out. And I did. I did. I went back to school, long hair here, cut, cut about a half an inch above, just shaved right over my head. Really, really attractive. Really. Look, really. In, in fact, if I had that haircut today, I was thinking about it recently. If I had that same haircut today, I'd start a new trend. Everybody would be showing up with that haircut. It would be amazing. But I actually, as a result of going through that, uh, you know, Lost some hearing. Now, in some ways, it comes in handy around the house. No, I, I, no, I, I didn't hear that. I, no, uh, uh-uh. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. No, I, I, remember the ear, remember the ear, huh? You know, I, but what is, what is more important? What is more important? Is it to hear in matters of righteousness? Is it to obey in order to have a righteous life? And the obvious conclusion is, you can hear all day long, but it's not about hearing. It's obeying. Now, here's what I want to do, and I know we're just about out of time, and I'm just about finished. I've got six minutes, but I really want you to amp up right now your mental horsepower, 
and I'm going to do something that I'm, I don't always do, but I'm going to give you a brief theology lesson. If you'll just hang tight, all right, I want to give it to you. Because here's, you cannot talk about righteousness without talking about two ideas in regards to righteousness. The first one, I'll just give it to you. You may want to jot it down somewhere. The first one would be called imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. Now, in repute, imputed righteousness, it goes back to this idea of justification. Again, it's that step of salvation when God announces someone is being righteous. And this is completely the activity of God. It goes back to what I said in the very beginning, that nobody can be declared righteous apart from God. So God declares because of what Jesus did. You see how this works? God looks at us and he declares us righteous, not because of our words, not because of our efforts, not because of our own moral achievement, what God does is he looks at us through the atoning work of Jesus and he declares us to be righteous. That is imputed righteousness. And that is all God's part. We cannot do anything about that. But lest we walk out of here and say, well, good, I'm off the hook. I don't have to do anything. God's already done it all. I'm righteous. I'll go live however I want to live. No, you can't do that. Because there is also this idea, and I don't have time to detail it, but this is the other side of righteousness. It is not imputed righteousness, the side that God, again, the other side of this theology lesson is there is also renewed righteousness. When you think of imputed righteousness, you have to think about justification. God declares us righteous forgives us of our sins, but does more than that, treats us as though we have never sinned. In regards, in regards to renewed righteousness, the word would not be justification. It would be sanctification. And when you hear somebody talk about sanctification, it is, in essence, it's becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, is following the pattern of God. It is to grow in the likeness of Christ. It is to be renewed in the image of God. And in Ephesians 4, 24, it's not on the screen, but it says that you are also taught to become a new person created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So God does his part. You with me on this? How many, your head's still in the game? Let me just see, I'm trying to see your head in the game imputed righteousness that is what God does but it is my responsibility and your responsibility to allow God to renew us and to grow us we're created in the image of God and although we can never ever reach that perfect standard of God we can increasingly become more like him you see here's a problem that I've got and you've got we cannot be sinless but we can sin less you with me on that we cannot be sinless, but we can sin a lot less than what we actually do. Fourthly and finally, in regards to righteousness, the fourth truth. At the end of time, the righteous and the wicked, the Bible says, it's all out of the New Testament. I didn't even touch the Old Testament. But at the end of the time, the righteous and the wicked, you see it here, look at it on the screen, are going to be eternally separated. They're going to be eternally separated. Now, since I cannot use hate, because that's not legal, my friend Larry can tell us, as pastors and preachers, we're, it's not legal for us to use the word hate. We can't, so I can't say I hate this. But how many of you are okay if I say I firmly dislike? You okay? I can't say I hate this, so I'll just say I firmly dislike the fact that our son and daughter-in-law and two sweet, sweet grandbabies are separated by as many miles as they are from us now. They went literally driveway to driveway from being 2.5 miles in distance from us 
to 1,127 miles from us. I know that because I measured it from Chick-fil-A this week. All right? And I don't like that. I don't like it. I want to be, you know, FaceTime is a wonderful thing. It's a blessing and a curse. Get to see my grandbabies and, you know, makes me want to hug them and hold them and kiss them. And so I like that I can see them. But it just, I'm like, no, but I'd really like to literally hold them and hug them and kiss them. But it's not all bad because I get to see them. We're separated by a lot of miles, but I get to see them. They'll come down here. We'll go up there. But the most mammoth of all separations will actually occur, the Bible says, at the end of time. Look at this verse up on the screen, Matthew 13, 49. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. It will happen. Look at this next verse. It's still out of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 25, 46 says, And they, they being the unrighteous, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And we get all charged up. We get all animated. We get all excited about the latter part of this verse. The righteous will go into eternal life. Won't that be wonderful? Won't that be great? Won't that be incredible to spend eternity with God in heaven? No problems, no sorrow, no tears, no pain, no sadness, none of that. And that is wonderful, and that is great, and that will inspire you and make you want to be in heaven all the more. But you cannot forget the first part of this verse. That the unrighteous will go away to eternal punishment. Why can't we forget that? Because tragically that represents our friends. And it represents our parents or our siblings or our children or our coworkers or our neighbors. And man, I hope that keeps us up at night. Hope it causes us to look at people differently when we look at them we don't look at them based on where they work or what car they drive or where they live but we look at them as somebody that's either going to spend eternity with us forever and ever or somebody that is not unless they open their heart to Christ we've got a job to do we've got a job to do I know that we're out of time and in fact you can go ahead and stand with me but because you're multi-talented you can stand and listen at the same time because I want to leave you with two thoughts and here it is as I understand the Bible, as I understand the Bible, those who merely practice a false righteousness will not have a permanent address in heaven. And if you're here and that's all you're going through is emotions, you're just all outward show. You're just putting on the uniform and everybody thinks you're a part of the team, but you know you're not. Then you can receive forgiveness. God will not only forgive you, as I mentioned earlier, He will treat you as though you've never sinned. Imputed righteousness. He'll declare you to be righteous. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. There is none that is righteous. No, not one. But he says that we're righteous because of what Jesus did. Furthermore, we must do everything that we can to keep family and friends and skeptics and seekers and unchurched people out of a very real place called hell. And we don't not like to think about it, but just as we exist in this room, there is a real place called hell. And at the end, righteous and the unrighteous are going to be separated and we can't let that be we cannot sit idle and allow that to happen and we're going to talk about that we're not going to talk about it every week because this whole idea of how to neighbor is much broader than just that area but we will talk about it in one of those Sundays what does it mean what does it mean to be the kind of neighbor Jesus talked about it 
Would you bow? Would you close your eyes? And if you're here today and you'd say, you know, I know, Jeff, I need to have my sins forgiven. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I want to confess my sin. I need Jesus to help me. I want to sin less. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and let me pray for you right where you're at. Pray for you. Thank you so much. If you're here today and you just say, you know, I need the strength and I need the words and I need the courage to speak up. I can't see my friends and my family members, my coworkers and neighbors, same way. I've got to see them as they are, but I've got to see them in light of eternity. And I don't want them to be separated from me. I don't want that to happen to my kids. I don't want it to happen to my brothers, my sisters. I don't want it to happen to my parents. I don't want it to happen to the people that live in my neighborhood. I don't want it to happen to the people that I share an office with. I don't want that to happen. Pray that God will give me. Lord, I pray that even right now that you would do that. That people right now in their heart and their mind would just say this, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. I'm sorry. I sin. I'm a sinner. Adam sinned, I've sinned, we're declared sinners, but forgive me. Jesus, you came and you died for me so that some way, somehow, I could be declared righteous, and I want that. I want to know that I'm forgiven. I want to know that I have a home in heaven. Forgive me of my sins. And to all of us, God, that you would give us the encouragement and the motivation to look reality square in the face and do everything that we can so that we're not separated from those that we know and love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. I love you, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you right back here next Sunday.